and welcome to But Where Are You From? I am your host, Mayanne, and with me is my co-host and fellow BCN co-founder, Viv Yao. I don't know, I'm gesturing to the side because like, <laughs> no one can see that and also you're not there. Or am I? Well, I hope not. <laughs> that would be creepy, that would wouldn't be it? Creepy. And with us today, we have a very, very, very special guest. Could you please introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. My name's Fea. Um, I am a student in Edinburgh just now, about to graduate and move to London. Um, and I'm also the co-founder of Racism Unmasked Edinburgh. Whee! Yay! Yay! Welcome to the podcast. Um, we're very excited to have you with us. And sorry, it's yeah. taken us so long to invite you. Um, I was just saying when, to my aunt, yeah, we uh, like, like, why, why have we not much? had Faye on? Why? <laughs> like, it feels like such an obvious choice because, like, you yeah. know, you know, you know, all, like some of us at BC and we chat and stuff like that. Um, but it was just, we're just like, why the hell have we not asked Faye yet? But we're glad to have you on. I'm happy to be here. And I can't Good. believe that we haven't met in person before. Wait. No, we have. We, have. we we did this, Mayan and me. We met up for dim sum the other day, and we're like, "Oh my god, I can't can't believe we're meeting in real life for the first time." And realized we like bumped into each other and did that yeah. kind of night. So obviously, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, it was quite. But, um, but it didn't feel it didn't feel like properly meeting because we didn't like hang out like one on one or anything. It was with a lot of people. So I guess no. I remember, I remember you gave me a. I remember you gave me a great hug though. Like you put your head on my bosom. <laughs> and then you just like squeezed me in the pub when I was like, oh, this is nice. I think so. <laughs> yeah. It's like, nice I to remember, meet you. I'm going to put I my head in your I remember when you boots. came in to the pub, like you, because you came after we were all, like most of us were already there and you yeah. arrived. And like the reaction that you got, like the door opened and like someone just screamed and it was like a celebrity had walked in the room. I was like, Jesus, imagine <laughs> imagine if I got that reaction every time I walked into a room. I was like, a celebrity walks among us. I think <laughs> just one person screamed really loudly and everyone else felt like they had to scream too. <laughs> I think that's what happened, honestly. <laughs> but hey, okay. oh, yeah. No, go, go, go for it. I was just, uh, I was getting overexcited. Yeah, it was really fun because I didn't, I wasn't planning on being, like, I didn't know that the event was on. I wasn't, well, I tried to get tickets, so I knew that you guys were doing that that day, but I I had plans during the actual event already, um, so um, I didn't expect you guys to be in that area while I was there as well, and I saw a few people and just, like, followed along, and you were all there, and it was just the best surprise ever. Yeah, it was like cosmos, planets aligning and stuff. Um, so without further ado, as you probably guessed from the title of the podcast, I'm going to ask you, but where are you from? I am, so I'm living in Edinburgh where I have grown up, but I was born in Wuhan. Everyone knows where that is now, so I don't need to explain. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was born there and I spent the first three years of my life with my grandparents on my mom's side um, while my parents moved over here and found jobs and set things up. Um, and then my grandparents came over with me, like delivered me across the world. <laughs> to the stork. Um, yeah, <laughs> like a stork. <laughs> Starting in London, I think I lived, yeah, I lived there first for maybe like seven months. Um, I think we've lived in lots of different places before settling in Edinburgh. 
Um, yeah, so I've been all over the place, but mostly in Edinburgh. Um, yeah, that's my story. Do you um do you like do, do you consider yourself Scottish? Um, I think so. There are moments where you, I definitely feel the I don't know, like Scottish cultural pride, I guess, when there's a Kaylee going on. Have you been to a Kaylee before? It's really fun. Of course. Had a had a Kaylee at my wedding. Oh yes. I love them at weddings. Um and everyone's really confused. Like you can tell who's Scottish and who's not because we're forced to do it. We're forced to dance the dances like since we were in primary school instead of PE. Um just <laughs> <laughs> uh so fun and I don't know yeah but in in recent times I don't know I've felt a bit disconnected from it because during during the pandemic um I'm sure you guys will identify with this as well I have had a lot of bad experiences in and around Edinburgh um and so for that reason and also like it happened like lots of um incidents like that happened growing up but especially during the pandemic um and moments like that kind of just I get taken aback because I feel so grounded here I feel like you know I feel like this is home and then something like that happens and it's just a shock like it reminds me that I am perceived as like so different from everyone else um and so when I I'm asked like what my nationality is. I say British Chinese rather than Scottish Chinese because I feel like, yeah, a bit that that describes me a bit better than being like Scottish Scottish. Sorry for that long-winded explanation. No, no, not at all. I I think that um, I don't know. I personally feel like the Scottish, maybe Scottish, Welsh, and Irish. Um, identities are maybe a bit stronger because I I think we've had this conversation a few times maybe you me Viv and maybe Amy about you know whether anyone considers themselves English um even you know you were born in England raised your whole life in England but a lot of people tend to say British rather than English but and Carly on the other hand feels very she, she feels very connected to being Scottish and she will say I'm Scottish um and I think that's really interesting. I've always felt like even just for even for white people, I've always felt that Scottish, uh, Welsh and Irish um, kind of identities were quite strong. Maybe it's because like they've all got one thing in common. They've all been subjected to <laughs> like English, English dominion or whatever you want to call it. I think when I'm on holiday and people ask me where I'm from, my answer would be from Scotland, because when I say that, they'll be like oh so you're not English that's fine <laughs> and it's like it's so funny I think that's so funny um a lot of like because I work in hospitals and stuff and medical student um I am around a lot of Scottish old grannies and grandpas and the way that they speak about English people is just I just think it's hilarious it's just something that's carried over since like back in the back in the day I guess so let's talk about that a little bit because you said to me like when we've met up in person and stuff you talked quite a lot about you know being um working in healthcare you obviously are exposed to a lot of older people and those are often the people that you sometimes get the worst comments from and also you know during covid 
people working in healthcare of, of Eastern Southeast Asian ethnicity or even just Eastern Southeast Asian presenting were often treated um, with more suspicion or hostility than others. Um, would you care to talk a little bit on that? Yeah, um, it's definitely very mixed. My experience has been very mixed, but I remember during the pandemic, I was genuinely just quite anxious about going outside in general, but because my medical school decided to power through as for as long as possible, um, we were kind of forced to be going into, we were forced to go into hospitals anyway, while we were hearing about like lockdown looming over us, like maybe it's going to happen, maybe it's not. Um, and this was when all of the incidents were happening at the fastest rate or like it, it was happening like every day or like every other day. Um, and yeah, during that time, it was very difficult because I would go into hospital and it would actually be the staff more than the patients that would make comments towards me like, oh, you haven't been to China recently, have you? And yeah, like making a joke out of it because they know that I'm a student here. They know that it's not really possible. It's just they're just throwing it in like for laughs when they don't really think about the fact that actually I might have family in China, which I do, that I am very worried about or I was very worried about. Um, it was just very insensitive and I was just the butt of the joke a lot of the time. Um, the patients, yeah, I think I had two incidents where a, um, a patient just refused to see me because um, they didn't want to see an Asian person. They didn't want to catch COVID. That's what they said. Um, and the staff kind of had to explain that to me without saying outright that that was the reason. Like they knew that, that was, but they tried to phrase it in a way to like not hurt my feelings or um, sound racist or I don't know. Um, yeah, something like that. And it just almost made it more awkward because they're trying to do the topic. Uh, I think I just would have rather they actually said what the issue was and said maybe like, oh, it's not obviously like it's not acceptable that the patient's talking like that. Um, are you OK? Like they could have said something like that, um, but they didn't. And so it was very unsupported. The medical school weren't great either because I was talking to them about how like a lot of people that I know, plus me, we're going through all of these like additional stressors in the pandemic um and they just didn't care and yeah it just made that year very difficult I ended up um not doing very well that year um and I had to re retake that year and I honestly think that if I had the right support um and if people actually listened to what I was going through then I maybe would have already been a doctor this year um, but I really, really struggled. Um, but I, I'd say in general, like it's it's very mixed because talking to old people, talking to just the general public, but especially old people who we all know like have more ignorant views and are more um, outspoken about these things. Um, it reminds me actually that there is a lot of kindness out there um, because I have had a lot of people let me into their lives and tell me like their 
deepest, darkest secrets, like their medical histories, their worries, their fears, what they're going through. And I feel very privileged to be told these things and to be trusted so easily. Um, so I, I feel like when that happens and when someone actually that I would expect to treat me in a in a more ignorant way, if they interact with me in a positive way, I actually take a lot away from that. And it reminds me that there is a lot of kindness out there and that um, I really appreciate my job. But then you have the flip side of that, which is when they don't respect you and they don't see you as unequal to your colleagues and they don't want to trust you and they don't um like I've had racial slurs shouted at me in the hospital like on a ward um fully staffed in front of everyone basically and no one said a word afterwards or during um and it kept happening and I was forced to be in that room to do like different jobs and stuff multiple times a week and it was just never addressed and I just think yeah in those situations I just think people don't understand what to do slash they want to ignore it um yeah yeah oh thank you so much for sharing that um you are not the first person from Edinburgh Uni to tell me that as a an East Asian or a Southeast Asian person that they don't feel that the university does enough to support them, um, especially during COVID. It's definitely a problem. Um, I also remember, so I went to Edinburgh Uni as well. Uh, I remember when um, the, after the George Floyd protests in summer of 2020, I got a message, like a DM out of the blue from one of my professors that I hadn't spoken to in literally years being like, hi, did you ever experience racism at Edinburgh? And I was like, um, hello, <laughs> haven't spoken to you for a very long time. And it was so obvious to me that like, they were kind of just thinking, oh, everyone's aware of racism now. What people of colour do I know who yeah. I can like, you know, ask about this? Um, so I think that the the university has a long, long way to go. I mean, even when I was there, I think that like the, um, I think the chair of, I think it was like black studies or whatever. I'm pretty sure the chair of that um, department was a white person. Um, but yeah, Whoa. they've got, yeah, I know, I know. Um, there's a long, long way to go um, in, in institutions like universities. Mm. But you did, um, you know, you did mention some of the positive stuff that's come out of, of those experiences and being able to connect with people. And, you know, we've, most of the people who are listening um, probably will have heard of Racism Unmasked. If you haven't, do go and follow on social media. We'll have uh, links in the show notes and, and Faya, you can plug whatever you need to at the end of the podcast. But if you could tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with Racism Unmasked, um, the kind of things that you raise awareness about, um, maybe projects that you've worked on in the past, um, that would be awesome because you're such an important voice, um, especially like, I don't know, I feel like you bring through a lot of that like Gen Z energy that we wish we could have uh, be seen, <laughs> but kind of fail miserably <laughs> through <laughs> like <laughs> attempts at TikToks. And I mean, I don't even, I don't know how to make a TikTok. Viv, you're way more like clued in to stuff like that. But I don't know, I feel like Racism Unmasked Edinburgh has such a like great Gen Z kind of energy that um, we need more of. Aw, 
I that's the first time I've been like we've been described in that way, and usually that's like uh insult. People love to insult like Gen Z. Oh, <laughs> so obnoxious, so annoying. So I'm glad that you see the positives in us, kind of like blah everywhere. Like we try and spread everything everywhere, um, as much as possible. And um, yeah, I'm just very proud of everyone for not being afraid to speak up because I know like when I started, it was so difficult. Um, basically we started in December, 2020. Um, I had some filming with BBC Panorama um, around that time, like just before Racism on Mass started. And that was the first time I've ever really been interviewed in that kind of way and asked to speak about my experiences. So it all kind of opened the floodgates and everything came out and it felt terrible like the people who were interviewing me were white um the cameraman was like south asian so it felt um (laughs) we interrupt this broadcast to bring you (laughs) i will turn it off (laughs) i want to know what it was (laughs) Sometimes it just um, it just she's goes off for no reason. She's got a mind of her own. It's the future of it's AI. AI creeping into our brains. Our I'm actually doing this really cool course at the moment on. Um, so I work for, for those of you who don't know, I work for an AI company. I'm doing a really cool course at the moment about like AI in our everyday lives and like it's just mind-blowing how much we interact Mm. with AI we don't even know like you don't even know how many times you touch something that's AI powered I bet wild sorry about that that was my Alexa going off I didn't even say Alexa and (laughs) she started answering some random questions she just didn't stop talking so (laughs) where was I um talking about um oh the bbc the the person who interviewed you was white um and that was an uncomfortable experience yeah so the cameraman was south asian but that was the only person of color that i dealt with throughout the whole process um they were making a documentary about it was called let's talk about race and it was about um the experiences of people of color um in the uk obviously it's a very broad topic um and they actually ended up giving a lot of airtime to other white people saying actually we're oppressed as well and um it's very hard being white in this country and not being able to say anything without being perceived as being offensive anyway Mm -hmm. they gave a huge chunk of the program to Mm -hmm. those people um and they only yeah they interviewed I know they interviewed me and um Kimmy from Mm. ESAS that's how um we met for the first time um we we got interviewed for like three days three whole days um I did a day with Kimmy uh maybe it was two whole days actually no I did a whole day by myself and I did a whole day with Kimmy so both of us and then they harassed my whole family um asking my mom and my sister to take part in an interview as well and at at the at the start they really didn't want to do that because my mom you know like the older generation they don't really talk about these things they 
feel quite nervous about speaking up. Um, it's like a more of a cultural thing. Um, so she was really nervous about it and she didn't want to do it. And they basically asked me to send her email um, and they just all piled on top of her and just like brought her into Zoom calls with like five of them and one of her. Mm. um just trying to persuade her to take part in this in this program and she finally agreed because she basically pressured to do it um and she did so much research like bless her she read up so much about like the different things that she could say she even organized a zoom call with all of her friends to talk about like their experiences you know like it, it was actually extremely extremely heartwarming to see so many of the older generation participate in a conversation like that because I know for a fact that that was the first ever time that they'd sat together and actually dedicated time to talk about this they've never mm. ever spoken about it so mm. she did all of this work and she took part in the interview which took six hours um with Naga Manchetti and it was cut the whole thing was cut from the program. And I understand that's how TV works. I understand they're ruthless with cutting. I understand they have hours of footage and they can't possibly use it all. But the way that it was dealt with was really bad. She had, there was no communication. The only way we found out that her whole section was cut and like most of everything that me or Kimmy had said had been cut was by watching it yeah. air on TV. Mm. It's fucking so, I actually... I think we know that we know which journalist you are talking about. We've yeah. had some unfortunate experiences with that same person. Um, and others in our kind of community circles have also had the same experience. And I think a lot of us have been burned by the way we've been treated by the press yeah. in the past. Like had journalists, actually that same journalist messaged me and say, oh, I'm looking for um, photos and proof videos if you have any. And I was like, well, do you think that I just like collect videos of people being violently attacked? Um, no, but you know, you can find these yourself if you Google. And then she emailed back and she was like, oh, so, so what exactly did you Google? Um, like I was like, no, I'm not doing no. the work for you. Stood me up twice when I finally agreed to have a conversation with this person um and just generally the the way that people are treated when they're kind of asked to rehash trauma on someone else's schedule is so appalling and I appreciate that you know there is it sometimes that's the way to get word out is the shock factor and I understand that that's you know our media is really sensationalist and that's what they want but there's also got to be a level of just basic human decency dealing with people who've been through something really traumatic. And I have to say the only times where I feel like I've been treated with respect in the many interviews that we've given in our capacity as, um, as an organization are when the journalist themselves is a person of color or as somebody who's marginalized in some way. I don't know if you've had kind of similar experiences. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to stay away from like any of the press stuff because I think of, of that experience of not being taken seriously. And I think it, you know, with the issue with BBC Panorama, they just jumped on something that was topical at that moment. So they have no way of making it sustainable or even the time or resource to look into how to be sensitive to it. Um, and we're just seen as a resource. Like that's all we are is information for them to then 
sensationalize and do the best they can with it and it's just yeah it's a really saddening especially for your mom who like spoke with so many different people and organized a zoom like that makes that breaks my heart that they had that conversation and in, in any way i don't know like it might be a small kind of like um silver lining that they actually got to have that conversation but what a shame that it didn't transpire into anything in the documentary no poor auntie (laughs) yeah I felt really she felt very deflated after that Mm. I could see how much it took out of her the whole um interview process she was so nervous she kept apologizing she's a school teacher she teaches like high school kids um Mm. mandarin like but she kept on apologizing for her English. Like you could see mm. her internalized racism come through so much in that interview. And it made me really emotional. It makes me emotional now thinking about it. But yeah. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's really, really sad. And she just, she got so nervous and she tried her best and she, you know, just like, yeah, it, it was just heartbreaking to find out that way that, all of her efforts had just been for nothing. Mm. Um, yeah, and um, they set up a meeting with me and Kimmy, not even with my mum, even though she was involved, and my sister, um, just with the producer. Um, afterwards, they kind of had a follow-up um, call for everyone, everyone that was involved um, originally. And they asked for feedback Um for the program and I think it was meant to be like a oh um pat on the back for them like you did Mm. a good job I loved it they were definitely expecting that Mm. because they started the call like so positive like oh my god it went so well we had this number of views um there were so many people watching it It was just such oh amazing like thank you so much for getting involved and um me and Viv oh sorry no me (laughs) that's me (laughs) me and Kimmy um we just went all in on them and yeah yeah basically um said we were very actually disappointed and a lot of the things that we were talking about that were important and actually more impactful and more um useful to talk about were were completely cut like everything was cut and they only focused on um basically COVID racism, they didn't really talk about anything existing before COVID or potentially existing after COVID. They just focused on, oh, it's COVID, Asians, COVID, mm. racism, COVID, Asians, COVID. And, you know, it's just all these connections. It's a cycle, isn't it? It's a vicious cycle. And it basically, it basically perpetuates that idea. Like, mm. it connects us with COVID again. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was just really oh I remember coming back from the first day of filming and I just cried for hours and hours and hours like I have never felt like that before I've never been I think it was just from letting it all out and I that morning I think this was also part of it that morning on my way in the uber on the way to filming I found out on Facebook that uh Edinburgh University student had been attacked outside of our library so I turned up in tears without like before even filming um because I just couldn't believe that this incident had happened like right outside our main university library at peak time it wasn't even it wasn't late um 
like he was just eating his dinner and he got attacked by a group of a group of people and no one stepped in to help until after they left um so yeah the whole day was just very traumatic for me and just having to tell things over and over and over again and also yeah it was just very overwhelming mm. what was their reaction then from when you and Kimmy sat down with them afterwards um really defensive really I've got I knew that they were going to pull something Mm. like manipulative and stuff so um I basically I recorded the whole conversation on my phone because Mm. I thought like if they're going to gaslight me and manipulate us I won't I will have the records to listen back and actually hear what was said instead of letting them like mess with me psychologically yeah Um, but yeah it was exactly as I had anticipated it was very defensive the the head producer of this um documentary it was very disappointing she was south asian um but she was one of those people of color who got to the top by being a bit ruthless and kind of ignoring her culture and her heritage i i feel anyway because she was definitely the most invalidating and the most just just shut everything down that we said just with so much gaslighting saying that we must be like remembering it wrong or like mistaken because oh we've tried so hard you know we've done all of these things it was yeah and both me and Kimmy in that call which lasted for about an hour um we both were in tears because it was just this like traumatic feeling over and over and over and over again and then they they basically exploited like that our our trauma and like put it on broadcast for what they said was like three million people across the UK and then afterwards when we actually talk about how we felt which was the purpose of the call that they set up they don't accept it and they like try and bat everything off and like pat themselves on the back and just deflect everything it was just horrible and it really put me off um doing anything like that ever again and it really put me off just yeah like the BBC if if they needed that any more of that like I already didn't like the BBC very much um but this was just kind of the nail in the coffin yeah well actually I think the final 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 nail in the coffin was the fact that they've put little Britain back on iPlayer and ignored everyone's complaints. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, we managed to harness a lot of people collectively across the community. Loads of people were talking about it and no racism unmasked also put out a really helpful infographic about it. And we all got the same replies back. Like it's not racist because we're making fun of people who are racist. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of generic reply, oh man, yeah, BBC's been in yeah, our bad books I'm, for a long I'm time. I'm sure the audiences are laughing at the racists and yeah, not the actual... Of course, of course of they course are. Of course they are, yeah. Yeah, no, we sacked off the BBC a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so as if anyone works for the BBC, it's not you, <laughs> it's the system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's, oh, that's so shit. Faya, I'm mm. sorry, I'm really yeah. sorry. Um, hopefully you're interview experience hopefully interview experience today is a bit of a better one Um, (laughs) but yeah there were definitely silver linings though um because that is how racism unmasked was formed because after that day and just after 
like my whole experience with the interviewing um, being bad and then the incident happening happening at the university just all happened like very quickly in that week and I just felt absolutely terrible I felt just horrendously bad like I just have never felt so like low about I don't know just everything um and I was questioning who I was even because I've never confronted my like my worries and fears like that so quickly like on such a large scale um and I had actually set up my own zoom call with my friends to talk about things that could potentially come up in the interview before I did the filming so there was a group chat of us and we said like we have to do something there's some this is something that all of us have experienced this whole year um nothing's being done obviously like the university with this incident they're not helping they're not being very helpful there's nothing there's nowhere that these people and we can turn to we need to be that group we need to be that community like there's there is no community we need to do something it was just very desperate and that is how we formed and then we had a protest outside of the library for this incident um and it was from then on that we kind of yeah became this organization and this community for everyone Mm. I think that journey is quite similar to how Be Seen were formed as well. Like, what a shame that it has to come from such traumatic experiences. And, yeah. You know, I'm not grateful for it, but obviously there was a reason that everything happens and, you know, we wouldn't be where we are now had it not been for yeah. those horrific experiences. And the very unique set of circumstances that allowed us to to move so quickly. You know, first of all, the age of social media, like, you know, TikTok, Instagram, I mean, not that we're on TikTok again, but (laughs) Instagram, Twitter, all those kinds of platforms, that and the fact that everyone was stuck at home created this perfect storm in which we were able to move quite quickly and actually be quite agile in getting information out there. Um, And Racism Unmasked, you know, we mentioned earlier that something that you do really well is putting out these very kind of punchy, impactful infographics. And you've covered so many topics from you know, from COVID racism to interracial adoption to, um, you know, LGBTQIA plus recommendations, you know, films, books, that kind of stuff. Um, And also, uh, this is also something that you talk about quite a lot on your personal Instagram, things like cultural appropriation, um, which we see so much in the kind of, you know, in the marketing efforts of so many brands and so many companies today. Like it just, I feel like just more and more it pops up everywhere. You know, we've seen like the whole, the Ivy Asia, um, horrible PR videos. Um, I liked it actually. <laughs> did you? Yeah, the I did find it, yeah. The really awful video with the really <laughs> racist. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Are you about to have a very... Did you not come and see my talk at Imperial? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, what? and then there's the Mahjong line and, oh, the woman who... What was her name? The Congee Queen. The Congee Queen. The Congee Queen who puts blueberries in her car. (laughs) The real Congee Queen is Viv. And the only correct topping is... (laughs) The only correct topping is please don't say it. Please don't cancel me. Please. Cheese and and roasted vine tomatoes. Hey, I saw that from Jenny Lau's uh, Instagram, roasted vine tomatoes on her Instagram first. Hey, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. There's no gatekeeping. It's so good. Have you tried it? It's so good. 
I, I actually can't bring, I just can't, not yet. I'll ease myself in one day, one day. Um, but yeah, this is something that you and I have talked about at length. They are, um, you know, is the cultural appropriation of certain things. And the thing that has actually brought all of us together today is, I think Viv's about to hold up a tofu, <laughs> not tofu like it. the food product, Tofu. Tofu. Like tofu. See, I was pronouncing like it brand. as tofu, which doesn't make any sense <laughs> to anyone. Make any sense. But like, that's how stupid the name is. Like, to, to, well, how do you say it? Tofu. Tofu. It's, I think it's oh, just yeah. tofu. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so you've probably, all of you who are listening, you've probably heard of tofu by now, seen it in your local Sainsbury's. It's, it's like replaced the kind of other white person brands of tofu um, as the default tofu that's like stocked in the vegetarian or the plant-based aisle, Um, which, and I don't have a problem. I don't have a, a, like by and large, I don't have a problem with, you know, supermarkets having their own brands or like, you know, non-EC people having products that are sort of, EC inspired I'm not here to like pull you know otherwise we'd be here all fucking day but Mm -hmm. it's the fact that tofu is really heavily marketed as like tofu with taste and they basically just trash other makers of tofu and and along with it you know cultures that have been eating tofu for like thousands of years Um, like they literally on their website they say like Oh, well, you know, ours, oh, hang on. Let me, I've got, let me, let me pull it up. Okay, here we go. Take everything you know about tofu and file it under things I used to think that turned out to be wrong. Tofu's not the soggy, tasteless stuff you might be thinking of. And we're on a mission to show the world that tofu is really rather brilliant. Actually, not all tofu, just ours. <laughs> it also what? reinforces that on their packaging uh, the, with the brand name. It says too good to be foo. And then yeah. it says, this is a typo. And they spelled this wrong on purpose. So as this, but tofu definitely isn't. It's spelled differently because it's not like other tofu. And then I, I hate that they use it as like, they, it's, too, it's handmade in Yorkshire with national yes. ingredients to a traditional <laughs> Japanese recipe. So they're fucking taking a recipe from, from Japanese people, but then like packaged it like this. Yeah. I mean, it's like they're admitting it. They're basically saying, yeah, we're taking this thing from Japan and we're making it better because real tofu is made in Yorkshire. Like, (laughs) fuck off. And like, I'm sorry, the company was founded in Malton, Yorkshire by Lydia and David Nibs, who identified a market gap. So I'm assuming that's Mm -hmm. like code for like mainstream market gap. Um, so they, and this is like a direct quote, hatched a plan to take over the world. Can you imagine if a Chinese person said in their like, you know, their business, you know, brand mission <laughs> we're gonna take over the world you'd have like you'd literally have people on the phone to prevent in about five seconds yeah yeah, yeah. anyway so I thought of you Faya because I you know you made that real um and you've talked a lot about how it like how it annoys you so much that people talk about tofu like it's like this like soggy tasteless thing and really that's just code for like we don't know anything about other cultures yeah and I just find it so infuriating and I've had a lot of a lot of instances where I've been eating tofu or I'm talking about to- I talk about tofu a lot because of this reason I, I think that I talk about it almost too much now because I'm like yeah you should eat tofu but not the tofu tofu eat the tofu from the Chinese supermarket <laughs> um 
Yeah, it's because people don't eat it properly. And I'm not saying that you have to eat it properly. It's when people say that they hate it and it's disgusting and, you know, like very derogatory things about people who eat tofu or tofu in general. When you ask them, um, have you ever tried it? Like, what have you eaten previously? They're like, oh, I've eaten like scrap. I've tried like, tofu scramble. scramble. Yeah, <laughs> tofu mm. scramble. Um, this brand called tofu, I've tried that and it's not very good. And, you know, like, I don't know how to cook it, but I have cooked it before. I followed a recipe, but um, it tastes like shit and it tastes like dishcloths and I hate it. And it's usually <laughs> this. This is usually directed at EC people that's my issue with it it's not like people feel very passionate I, I think it's something that it's almost like cool to hate on I don't know it's just when people bring yeah. up tofu it's like someone always has a very adverse reaction to that yeah I also think that it's like there is a connection um for for non-EC people anyway I reckon there's a connection between like um tofu and veganism and people love to trash vegans anyway like yeah. vegans get made the butt of the joke all the time. Ha ha ha, your food is shit and tasteless. Tofu is also shit and tasteless. Um, and oh, it just, it pisses me off so much. I mean, it's not, it's not even the, it's like, can you imagine if like, I don't know, there's obviously loads of stuff in the world today that we eat that's kind of very loosely inspired by another culture. Like no one is eating Domino's pizza. I mean, first of all, we're not eating Domino's pizza because we're pissed off at Domino's after that fucking advert. <laughs> no one, but no one is eating Domino's pizza. So I'm swearing a lot today because I'm really angry. Do it. Um, Do it. No, one, no one's eating Domino's pizza and being like, oh, I'm really enjoying this authentic Italian meal experience. You know, like <laughs> people know, like, yeah, obviously, like people know what you're getting when you order a Domino's pizza, you know what you're getting. Like sometimes you just want that kind of pizza. But like, yeah. as far as I'm aware, Domino's, isn't using like its brand voice isn't like this pizza is better than anything that you'll get in Italy like obviously they're not saying that they know what their space is they know what their market is and I just like it's like it's the audacity to be like oh tofu but better it's Mm -hmm. like the whole mahjong thing as well like mahjong but better yeah and it's also like the thing is right okay I'm just gonna admit something here I don't I like this brand in terms of the taste of the tofu I'm just gonna say it and it really winds me up that me as the consumer I have to think about the ethical Mm. ways in which they're marketing before I even consider buying their tofu and sometimes you might pick it up because it's accessible you can get it from your local co-op or Sainsbury's or whatever so then there's not always a an Asian supermarket nearby and I hate the fact that the onus is put on me then to decide Mm. and looking at their packaging I'm like this is a bit of a joke, isn't it? Like I shouldn't yeah. have to consider that before whether to, whether I want to decide on buying tofu or not. And that really annoys yeah. me because I actually quite like the taste of their tofu. Mm. I like all, all types of tofus. I like Asian tofu, but I like this as well. It's not bad. Yeah. And why can't things just coexist? Like there's no need to trash us. Like I do really mm. think that brands should have a responsibility. And speaking of responsibility, has tofu, the company, like supported any EC charities? Did they post anything about, you know, Mm. Stop Asian Hate? Have they ever acknowledged our existence other than saying that we're shit because we like (laughs) don't Mm. know how to cook tofu properly? Um, No, they haven't. You know, they they tokenize the good things of, of what they see are the good things of our culture. Like, you know, they put out like a generic Happy Chinese New Year here's a recipe you can make using tofu. They, they put out recipes and stuff on their Instagram page. Recipes, which by the way, mostly come from like white cooks, like 
Joe Wicks, for example. Um, <laughs> like they have like a recipe book. Um, they don't, you know, they don't, I'm pretty sure they're not like actively supporting any vulnerable communities or anything like that. But, you know, then they also like boast about how much their sales have like skyrocketed. Like they've gone from strength to strength as a company in the last couple of years. And they've got really like really big projections for the next couple of years. And it's just like, mm-hmm. okay, fucking pay up. There we go. Sorry. I've got my languages all <laughs> over the place today. Um, and I think I think about the same thing with like, um, you know, the the chain. Well, it's not I, I'm, it's spelled faux, like P-H-O. Yeah. Yeah. And they they basically serve like pho, yeah. but mm. it's just spelt like P-H-O without any um, diacritics or anything on it. And it's, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, oh, went to Vietnam once, capitalized on this like one thing that's just like a really standard dish. It's like a breakfast dish for most people, capitalized on this one thing and then like brought it over to the UK. Are they supporting any communities? No, like... Do they give a shit that Vietnamese communities are like, you know, particularly Vietnamese migrants are particularly vulnerable to exploitation? Like, you know, the restaurant trades have suffered, um, you know, that that there are economies that are being damaged by that. They even try to trademark the word. Like wow. it would be like trying to trademark the word like, I don't know, congee, for example. Um, and <laughs> don't I was think in think about it. I was in Bristol last summer and we walked past one of the chains and they've got like a neon sign in the window that has the word fur and it's supposed to have like, it's supposed to have um, one of the Vietnamese letters that's got like a little, um, how do I explain this? Like a tail on it, but it's also got like a diacritic on top of it, floating on top of it. Mm-hmm. And it's obvious that they were trying to like, copy the correct spelling but they like invented a letter that it doesn't exist in the Vietnamese alphabet and it's just (laughs) I I just can't like the audacity I just can't like it just makes me so angry that's so imagine yeah you go with I was just gonna say imagine being in the marketing room being like okay we're gonna name this brand foe and we're just gonna put some squiggles here because no one's gonna know because that all they're thinking about is their white audience that they literally mm. are not even thinking about the Vietnamese people living in the UK or wherever. It's an aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like super dry using those characters on yeah. all of their clothing. I thought they were Japanese for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, me too. Are they I'm... not wait are they definitely not? I'm gonna definitely. I'm gonna look it up while you go, Fair. Okay. Well, it's it's the same as like um, you know the rituals fancy soap company, mm. and the name um, we could go on forever about the like. There's so many examples that I could bring up, but the rituals um, like luxury soap company, they mm-hmm. have like different collections where they name it after lots of different random things in Asia and just like, religious things sometimes. So they have like the samurai connect collection, or they have like the the um Ganesh collection or the Buddha collection and it's just all mm. meant to be exotic um yeah. Yeah. for you to feel transported to a different like a different place with the <laughs> sense but yeah. it, there's no like there's nothing there's no pattern there's no like theme it's just random bits mm. and bobs of different like eastern or like you know, Middle Eastern or Eastern cultures that they just, yeah, these keywords that they've taken 
Yeah, mm. they clearly haven't like consulted anyone or anything. Yeah. They're just like, oh, that looks cool. We'll have it. Yeah. Um, okay, so the founder of Super Dry is called Julian Mark Dunkerton. He's a British <laughs> businessman. Yeah, because yeah, sure. aren't they based on like the Isle of somewhere? They're like yeah. off an island somewhere in the UK. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah, and like I think like they just yeah they just kind of pick things that look or sound cool and I think you see this a lot in the wellness industry as well like oh you know we discovered this ancient Chinese ritual for skin lifting or something or like you know like jade rollers are really fashionable now yeah Yeah. Yeah. or like um you know you see it a lot with um you see a lot with yoga and with a lot of South Asian spiritual practices Mm -hmm of yoga has become this and I'm not I'm not saying that white people can't teach yoga I'm not saying that non-South Asian people can't do yoga but like I had to stop I've had to stop going to certain yoga classes because they were being treated as like a fitness thing as part of the fitness industry and you know when we think about yoga when you google yoga you will see you know thin white women able-bodied wearing like really you know chic yoga clothes as if there's like a certain way or a look that you have to have to do yoga you know working in like these studios that are really expensive that often actually shut out the people whose very heritage created yoga in the first place aren't inclusive spaces um feel quite elitist and don't pay attention to any of the roots or the origins of yoga which is so much more than just a physical practice it's it was one of the reasons that i mean i didn't i couldn't at the time when I stopped practicing yoga, I couldn't get access to the kinds of classes that I want, wanted to have. It was before yoga became more popular online, like by Zoom classes and stuff. Um, and I just felt, yeah, I don't know. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just always felt really ick about it. And then a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, that's because it's massively cult- culturally appropriated yeah. in so many cases. And obviously there are loads of yoga teachers or wellness practitioners who are doing it respectfully um but there are plenty of people who aren't you know there's obviously a way mm. to to share and 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 experience a culture it's just if you're doing it for profit using a kind of surface level aesthetic and shutting people out and making it uh, i don't know a horrible gatekeeping experience then like i don't really want any part of it to be honest yeah i've got um i've got a friend who is indian malaysian and when she mentions that she does yoga to her friends, her white friends, they'll be like, oh, you're fancy. It's like, it's almost like mm. a middle class, like upper class, like a fancy thing um, that you, you know, like treat yourself. Um, yeah, it's definitely made for that like demographic now. Yeah. Like, I, I have another friend that genuinely thought that yoga was a Western invention. Like, <laughs> Like she didn't know. Like, no. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, it's not no surprise, is it? Like you just have to go onto YouTube and search yoga, and the first videos to come up are always by the same white women. Like Yoga with Adrian is the one of the most famous yoga teachers on YouTube, which is like great. It's accessible for so many people that may not have access to yoga, but like she's just one example. And to my knowledge, to my knowledge, I don't think she she honors where yoga came from i've never seen her talk about it on her channel and like Mm -hmm. her videos have so many hundreds of thousands of views which she's capitalizing from she's making a lot of youtube ad revenue from her videos and she's just one example um even if she's well-intentioned well-meaning or whatever she's still 
capitalizing on the space with no acknowledgement to who who created yoga in the first place yeah and yeah. i think we've all been to yoga studios or like mm. dan- yeah yoga studios where they'll have like the tibetan prayer flags and they'll have like a buddha statue but they'll also have a picture of ganesh on the wall and they'll also have like incense in the corner like I, this they just have so many different like bits of eastern culture in and and south asian culture in just like one space mm. Mm. Um, you know, it always makes me laugh when like when yoga teachers say namaste at the end of a class oh, <laughs> like means <yeah>. hello <laughs> it's also, it'd be yeah. like if you like finished a sports class and then you were like hi <laughs> Hello. We've been to those um those classes where they like it's, it's called like bodies um oh, I can't remember what it's called but it's basically based Body off balance. Krav Maga. It's, oh. it's something like that where you punch loads. It's like based off martial arts Krav Maga and like lots of different types of martial arts. And at the end they bow and I used to cringe the hell out. I never used to do it cuz like why are we bowing? Well, who are we bowing yeah. to? Why are we doing this? All these white people in this room yeah. just bowing to one another like ah like, do you even know the significance of bowing in in different Asian cultures? Probably not. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I think we see it a lot with like, um, you know, with fashion as well. Definitely, definitely see it with Chinese, uh, Chinese and Japanese aesthetics in in a lot of fashion as well. But it always really makes mm. me laugh when you see like mm-hmm. people who are obviously confusing hair sticks chopsticks. <laughs> like, <laughs> you see people with like actual chopsticks in their hair. Yeah, um, yeah and I don't think I think people like to on the other side like people like to say that we're being gatekeeping and we're oh you can only like they think that we're saying that you can only do these things if you do them absolutely identical to how they're originally done I really think they can be appreciated and like practiced by other people mm. in like a responsible way it's just you don't it's so easy to just not have that air of superiority you know it's just that yeah. air of, superiority like ev in like all of these examples where yeah. they really feel like they're doing something new and they're reinventing it or they're improving yeah. it or they're just making it better in so many different ways and I just mm. think that that aspect of it is what pisses me off the most um yeah I, yeah I've seen um well have you seen that um Bake Off episode where they have the Japanese week Yes, we wrote an entire article about yeah, it. Yeah, I think yeah, it was that it was that article that I read, and after seeing the episode as well, mm. and um, because Paul Hollywood mentions that he did like he had some time in Japan, and that's yeah, he went to Japan once. He did this yeah. shit shit um, Netflix series for yeah, you know? and then I watched it, and it's yeah. it's genuinely just so insufferable oh. at certain mm. points. Because he really just think like it, there's different lines that he says in the show. I I think he means it as a joke, but I think some of them are genuine as well. He's like, "Oh, Japan, the land of rice and noodles." I <laughs> yeah, he says that. He's like, "I thought that this would be the land of rice and noodles. Where is all this good food come from? I thought they did." Oh my Japanese. god. Like he was, he was surprised. He was surprised that it wasn't just rice and noodles. And he sees a bakery for the first time. And he was just like, ah, let's let's see, like, because bread is his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Oh my god. Let's see what breads they have. I bet they don't have scones. Oh my god, they have scones. It's actually good. Yeah. They've actually done a good job. Yeah. And he does he does compliment the bread, but it was like definitely a surprise to him that they'd even have it in the first place. That it'd be good. And just when he speaks to um his like different tour guides, the people who take him around Japan and teach him um about like their culture and like their um you know, like mannerisms, like what people do, what people don't do. He really just makes fun of them a lot. Yeah. I just really mm. don't think that's necessary. I've seen another show recently called Somebody Feed, Somebody Feed Phil, where it's also a white guy going around different countries mm. um, trying their food and just interacting with the people there. And I really think that that's a great example of someone who is appreciative because yeah. he doesn't, like when he makes jokes with people, it's not like based on their culture or their ethnicity. Yeah, yeah, and and um, yeah, and when that's obviously them, yeah. a right way to do it. Exactly, and when he eats, yeah. things, he'll make sure to like pronounce it exactly how. Yeah, they and he'll he'll get them to teach him how to say it properly. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's just. Yeah. It's why I feel so sad that Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain. Bourdain. I was going to say the same thing. I was like, I feel that way about Anthony Bourdain. Like, I, I just I, feel a I've got, place in my heart if I could bring him. a person back, like, I, I love Anthony Bourdain mm. so, much. so much. And he, it just, you know, like he's the only, um, not the only, but one of the only kind of prominent white uh, figures in, in, in like the sort of food industry that I've ever heard call out like, you know, MSG related mm. racism and mm. you just, just racism in general. He was never yeah. afraid to talk about that, um, whether or not it made him unpopular. And so there is, there is a way to, to do it. And I get asked about the line between cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation a lot because of where I live. Um, I've been living in West Africa for almost seven years and yeah, like I own a lot of clothing that's made with traditional, um, you know, West African fabrics have a lot of textiles in my home from different West African countries. Obviously I've been to events, weddings, baptisms where, you know, you kind of are expected to wear a traditional dress. You know, many people will have been invited to, um, you know, a Hindi wedding, for example, where they've been encouraged to, to dress in a traditional way or, you know, maybe even they've been to Scotland and they've been encouraged to, to wear Scottish traditional dress. Like it's obviously not a no-go area, but think for me in particular it's important to understand like why are you wearing it are you wearing it just because you think it looks cool or because you have like a reason to wear it you know are you participating in some kind of event are you making an effort to understand the culture that comes from like in West Africa the different like wax pattern textiles each pattern has a story and there's like a story behind each one they mean different things you wear different fabrics for different occasions um, and, then, and then context also can change. Like in the States, a lot of traditional West African fabric actually is related to um, civil rights movements. And there's just really, there's always a story behind where something came from. And I think a lot of the time now we're not gatekeeping. We're just asking people to, in the same way that I would try and be respectful if I was, you know, partaking in some kind of um, ceremony or tradition or whatever from another culture, just asking people to, show some damn respect Mm -hmm. so on that note we are unfortunately going to have to wrap up in a minute I feel like we could literally talk about this all day um maybe we will maybe we'll have to do a part two um but Faye I have a couple of fun questions to ask you okay um just so we can like end it on a nice high note Mm -hmm. okay so 
when you're making a recipe, you know, your favorite tofu recipe, maybe, if you are told to use a thumb-sized piece of ginger, <laughs> do you use like this bit of your thumb, like from the tip of your thumb to the first thumb knuckle where, where like your thumbprint goes, or would you use Just like your tip. entire thumb, like um, the entire length of your thumb? Oh, I've never really thought about this before. <laughs> really? <laughs> I haven't either, I just, you know. You haven't thought about this super specific question that I've just asked you. <laughs> um, I think I would use the entire thumb. Yes. Yeah, same. Yeah. I think people yes. who use just the tip is, you know. Not enough not ginger. Getting, not yeah, enough ginger. Just, just the tip. Where's the flavour? Yeah. yeah. Just the tip. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I can't stop saying that. If you shut up. <laughs> if you could wake up tomorrow with a superpower, what would it be? Don't think about it too much. Just tell me. Boom. Teleportation. <laughs> yes that's such a good one that's what i would say as well because mm-hmm. then you could just be like oh i really want this thing from this this food from this particular country bim go and get it yeah yeah uh i just want to visit people i want to i just want grandparents so what with that uh, related note what is the next country you would like to visit i really want to go to either south korea or India I think I would really like those places yeah I would love to go to mm. India what about you Viv um I would like to go to I'd like to go back to Japan again I've been as a oh sorry you're saying you're pointing at you quite furiously yeah Senegal. I know where you need Senegal. to go Senegal yes yeah yeah Senegal oh, yeah obviously obviously you need to or get Hong that Ghana, Ghana, Senegal trip in. Um, I would love to go to Japan. Um, my, for a country that I haven't been to yet, I think it would have to be somewhere in East Africa because I don't know East Africa well. Um, so yeah, maybe Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, Kenya, visit some pals. Mm, you nice. know, yeah. I think Africa is hugely overlooked um, as a travel destination by a lot of people mm. in Europe. Um, okay, and then final deal breaker question: rice or noodles? Rice. I knew this. Already. She's a I rice don't know gal. How I knew this, but I was like, she's going to say. I knew rice. it. Well, it's like usually rice, it isn't it? We are a minority. Yeah. The noodle noodle contingent is a minority. Um, is your partner rice or noodles? Pastor. <laughs> are, you rice, are you rice or noodles rice. rice rice oh that's lucky see my partner is a he's a riceman riceman <laughs> yeah so i'm actually looking partner. to i'm looking to trade him in for um, if there are any noodle guys out there hit me up <laughs> <laughs> i've got some um jollof in the fridge that i'm gonna have right after oh this. nice yeah my, my partner is um, my partner is very very loyal to west africa um, and it is it is a region of rice, so I can't really blame him. This was But Where Are You From, a podcast by B-Scene, Britain's East and Southeast Asian Network. We were joined by the wonderful Faya Hu of Racism Unmasked. Um, Faya, if people want to find you, where can they look? Okay, so my personal Instagram is Faya Poop. So that's F-E-I-Y-A-P-O-O-P. Don't know why it's a poop. But <laughs> I've always wondered. I've always wondered. Yeah, I, I, really I think you're even in my phone as Faya Poop. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I really don't know where that came from. I really don't know. 
But I, maybe it sounds like my surname. Is it because poo. poo rhymes with poo? Yeah, I think so, maybe. <laughs> okay. Um, and then Racism Unmasked, you can find us on Instagram at Racism Unmasked Edinburgh. Or we are also we are also on Facebook, so you can join our Facebook group, which is also cool. Mass Edinburgh. And our our email is racingmassedinburgh at gmail dot com. If you want to send us an email, that'd be nice too. But yeah, yay! And yay. you can find Be Seen on Instagram at besea dot n and Twitter at besea underscore n. Keep an eye on our socials, on our newsletter, on our website for news about EC Heritage Month, which is imminent it's not really imminent it will be in september but we are soon opening registration possibly even after the this podcast goes live so who knows mystery watch this space but do keep an eye on all of our pages um, for news about easy heritage month we want to make it nationally recognized we want to make it bigger and better than last year so please 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 join us in our quest and as ever, if you would like to give us your money, please feel free to buy us a bowl of noodles um, via our coffee page. That is ko-fi.com forward slash be seen. I was your host, Mayan, and I will leave you with some parting words of wisdom from my co-host, Vivial. <laughs> <laughs> Always flush after pooing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Bye for now. We'll see you next time. (laughs) I'll stop recording.